Welcome to Soulful Vedas Podcast. We are Ayurvedic health coaches that heal and balances in the mind, body, and spirits. We are here to guide you on your healing journey with soulful wisdom and higher intuition. You are your best healer and your moment to connect to your highest self is now. Hello everyone, Rachel and Angelica are back today. It's a duo cast with both of us on the podcast today. And we're talking about one of our favorite topics, which is limiting beliefs. So before we dive into all things limiting beliefs, we first just wanted to set the stage and talk about what is a limiting belief? Because I feel like it's a bit of a buzzword and a lot of people are talking about the concept, but what is one? How do you find it? Like, how do you know what to even start doing with the limiting beliefs? So we're just going to start there. Angelica, do you want to kick us off with your perspective and definition? Yeah. So I think it's interesting because it is a buzzword, but it comes from a lot of other words that sound similar. Like what resistances do you have? Or what is that story that you keep telling yourself? Right. And what's really amazing is that Byron Katie and her work is she started these limiting beliefs so that we can kind of have, um, a layout and a template when we recognize these patterns that we have, these stories of the mind or of the ego and bring awareness to them and then have a solution to how we can understand them better. I love that. I feel like too, another good way to think about them is it's almost like stressful thoughts, but they, you don't actually know that they're stressful, right? So kind of plays into my next question I was going to ask is like, where do these thoughts come from? And oftentimes what we learn from our own coach, Alyssa Nobrega, and I think she, you know, uses a lot of her work from Byron Katie as well, is that we actually get a lot of our limiting beliefs programmed into our subconscious as early as the ages of like zero to seven. And so they're beliefs that we might not even know that we have, but they're kind of fueling all of the things that we either think about all day, the different actions that we have, our patterns, the things that we subscribe to on a daily, on a daily level. And they are really just a part of the ego, right? They're ego constructs and they can be really tricky. So sometimes limiting beliefs can be hard to find because they sound like a lot of different things and the same belief shows up in a lot of different ways. So we're going to use today's episode to really unpack that so you know how do i know if this is showing up in my life how can i identify it and then how do i even just start to work from it so they come from like we talked about that age of zero to seven and really that subconscious but let's talk about where they come from so how do you even get these beliefs in the first place so they're created by the ego mind or the lower mind, again, multiple definitions for one meaning. Um, and it's better to understand what is that voice that's always in your head. And Michael Singer does a really good job of this in The Untethered Soul. He talks about, have you ever taken a shower and been aware that you're taking a shower and notice the voices that you're hearing? And I think that's a really good moment for us to kind of settle in because most of us are not actually in the shower. We're just talking in our heads and letting our minds go. So the first step is to really understand what does my voice sound like and what are the thoughts going on in there? And this can be kind of tricky because it may be very loud and noisy for a lot of us, but this is the first time that we're starting to get in touch with awareness and what consciousness is. So just allow everything to come forward and just kind of pick apart that same record, that broken record that keeps coming up for you and just take it one at a time. Yeah. And that's, that's such a good way to bring awareness to it. And I love the shower example because that's where I always notice it, right? Like, wow, where are all these thoughts even coming from? And they're like super present with me. 
And to get even deeper to that, like where do they come from? We learn a lot of these things when we're younger from the people and experiences that we have. So this can be things that our parents teach us, our grandparents, our teachers, other kids. And it also comes from our own experiences, right? So to just give an example of how this works, say that when you were little, you were learning to ride a bike and your parents were super supportive and told you that you could do anything and you believed them and you trusted them and then you you fell and you had a nasty fall on your bike all of a sudden you're starting to create this belief that wow like maybe i can't actually do this and this was hard and when i try things that are hard i get hurt and if you don't reprogram that belief right away by doing other things that are hard or getting back on the bike and trying again that's a belief that sticks with you. So something that was so simple when you're five years old and now maybe you're 15 and you can ride the bike just fine, but that belief stuck with you. So later in your life, when you're trying hard things like getting into college and getting a job that seems like it's gonna be challenging to get, it really came from that first experience and you didn't rework that belief or you really bought into it, it became a part of your identity. And that's not to say that any traumatic experience or lesson from your parents or other kids really stuck with you, but are the ones that really, like it's almost like a traumatic experience in some way and you, you bought into that and you let it perpetuate instead of looking at it head on and finding examples of ways that it wasn't quite true for you and you realize that it wasn't serving you. So let's dive into that because I feel like that's a good segue. Why are limiting beliefs so important and why is it kind of the talk of town now? In this day and age. So I always like to also link it back to the ancient teachings because they knew everything already. And this idea of karma, which sometimes can be a misconception. Um, so karma is a groove and it's um, a repeated pattern that we have. So similar to a limiting belief. And so we create karma in this lifetime. And we also have karma that we've created from past lives as well. And so, well, let's just talk about this lifetime for now, but the karmas that we create, it can almost be related to these limiting beliefs that we have. So for example, that bike story, right? And we created that limiting belief for it. So once we begin to understand that we've built that karma, if we're not bringing awareness to it, we're just gonna keep on repeating that thread over and over again. So it's important first to understand what that karma is, um, to identify it and just bring awareness to it is, is always the first step, it's just to accept it. Yeah, and when you're talking about kind of those grooves or samskaras, using the same bike example. So the reason I think we get over this quicker when we're kids is like that groove isn't that deep yet, right? So we can easily see the edges. We can see what else can be true for us. We still have that sense of like awe and curiosity that came from source when we were still in those younger years. But as we get older, as we get more patterned, more conditioned, those grooves or some scars get deeper. And so we keep falling into the patterns and we see the mirrors of that pattern, that belief within ourselves projected even more into our outer world. So it's one of those things like, you believe something and then you go outside and that same thing happens to you and then you believe it even more deeply and then it's just like this pattern, right? And so when you're more of an adult and all of your life has been rooted in these patterns, it's harder to see out of the groove. And so it's really important because when we talk about health and wellness, you know, whether it's from a mental or physical level, those beliefs can change how we feel about ourselves and what we believe is possible for our health and wellness and what we believe is possible in our life, right? We talk about this a lot that in Ayurveda, the way that disease manifests is, is first something spiritual. So you forget that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. And then because you forget that, you get stuck by these constructs, these beliefs that you need to be human, but some of them are in service to you more or less than others. 
And then because you believe that, those cues start to show up in the body. And sometimes that shows up as an imbalance. And that's where you start to experience symptoms, disease, things like that. And so limiting beliefs are really important because we always talk about working with the root of the disease and the root of whatever is causing you pain or discomfort. And the root really comes from spiritual practices and then working with those beliefs, like figuring out where you can break free of the chains of whatever you've constructed in your mind to be this free person and have this opportunity to rebuild your vision of health and wellness for yourself and really step into your dreams and your light and the wholeness and that perfect health that you've always had within you. And so that's why we're always working with them. Like with our clients, it's really the first thing we do. Like from the first call we have with them before they're even clients to their kickoff call, like we spend a full almost like two hours on this because it is so, so deeply important and it really is the block for anything. And, you know, for an example, you can be someone and you might be listening to this example, like this is me, because this was me, I'll use my own example for years, like really wanted to be healthy, thought I could just learn it all and intellectualize it and get this, you know, ideal body and be able to be like the epitome of health. But there were things in my mind that were blocking that for me. And it wasn't until I removed them that it actually became easy to step into this healthy version of myself. But it had nothing to do with what I was, you know, putting into my body or how hard I was working out or those things. It was really what I constructed from what I believed. Yeah. And that's such a good point to talk about that because it's, yes, it's hard to identify, okay, what is my root cause of this, of my mind? And how can I understand that? And the thing is, you're probably not going to get that root cause underlying one, the first gut and on the first go, but you start to recognize what are my eating habits? Um, how do I even go about my meditation or my yoga practice? Or how do I even just walk around throughout my day? It's, it's something as so simple as that. And that's why using the science of Ayurveda is so important because we talk a lot about food and we talk about diet, not to get so obsessed with it, but just because we can recognize so many of our patterns through that. So for example, in Ayurveda, 90% of how we digest food is through how we eat, meaning our conscious eating habits are the utmost important for our digestive system, which results in healthy all healthy tissue and removing all disease in our body. So it's important to recognize what are my habits around eating? For example, do I eat while standing up? Do I eat while I'm still cooking? And then I never really sit down and have a meal. Not only does that disrupt the digestive system, it cues us into what's happening in the mind. What is that habitual pattern that I keep on putting on a, a broken record? And now it's showing up and all these aspects of my life. And now I'm kind of acting in a really weird behavior, like eating. I was talking about this with a client the other week. She said, it's so weird that I just eat while I'm standing up and I never really sit down and, and have an actual meal now that I'm thinking about it. That's just not even the normal human thing to do. So again, they all come up in different ways and sometimes habits are weird because we've just grown accustomed to always living life like that. But you can first start by recognizing your eating habits. What do I do when I sit down for a meal? And do I take the time to really sit and breathe with it? Do I say grace before? Do I take time before leaving the meal? And if not, you're very normal. Everyone does not usually have time or create the space for themselves and create the time, I should say, to do the conscious eating habits um, and have their meal. But what you can do is recognize, why do I do that? And where did that come from? And that's a jumping off point. Yeah. I love that. And if you're listening to this thinking like, okay, wow, like I really want to figure out what these things are for me. And like, you're hearing some of Angelica's examples and you're like, wait, yeah, it is really hard for me to make time to sit down and eat. 
awareness really just comes from figuring out where you're triggered or where resistance is. And food is such a good way to do that. And so, you know, deeper ways to figure out, like, do I have a limiting belief here? So notice what, what triggers you and see, like, one of my favorite things is when I'm <laughs> upset with someone and I think the things like, well, it must be nice that they're able to do that. Or like, oh, she, you know, he should be doing this. Like, my boyfriend should have cleaned out the dishwasher. And that is such now like a red flag to me. It's like, wait, why, why should he do this? And this is again, stemming from the work of Byron Katie, but it's like, oh, that's something within me because if I really wanted it done, I could do it. And we'll talk more about, you know, what that looks like. But if you start to hear those phrases, like should, must be nice, you feel really uncomfortable about something or it's making you angry for no reason, that's an amazing time to stop and pause and be like, what can I learn from this experience? What is being highlighted within me? And a really good way to do that is your body talks to you, right? And so when you feel triggered like that, just taking a moment to pause, if you can like go to the bathroom and just close your eyes and just let it, let yourself feel it. Like, where's it at? What's it trying to say? And let it speak to you and you'll figure out what's actually triggering you. And the better you get at asking those questions of yourself and then being silent enough to listen, the more you'll be able to kind of solve these riddles, if you will, on your beliefs. And one thing that I wanted to go back on because I didn't touch on it, but oftentimes when we talk about the ego construct in mind, sometimes it takes on like a negative connotation, like the ego is a bad thing. And I just want to be really clear in that the ego is not a bad thing. These beliefs are not a bad or negative thing. The goal is to get free of them, but ultimately they're there to protect you, right? So like in the experience again, or the example of the bike, the reason that you were afraid is because you got injured, right? And your ego's like, shit, I don't, I don't want to have another like broken knee or elbow or whatever it is. So I want to be afraid of this because this is keeping me safe. Sometimes though, those things that are realistic in that moment aren't realistic for the rest of your life. So when you're challenging beliefs, you have to give compassion and understanding and an open heart to those beliefs because they're trying to serve you and they just need your attention and your awareness. And then you can let them go and insert a new belief that actually is serving you and the new goal you're trying to get now that you're no longer five and learning to ride that bike. So let's talk about this again in a little more of the perspective of Ayurveda and talk about the common beliefs by dosha. So we see a lot of these, but let's break it down by each and see, talk about which ones are common and kind of how they create themselves by the doshic and the different energies that go along with that. Yes. So let's start with vatas. So vatas, um, they're known as being the creative types, the personality types, and they're more of the free spirits. They like to go from one thing to the next because their minds are really expansive. So they have a lot of ideas, but it's hard for them to kind of sit down and get down to business and put those ideas into action and to create structure, right? Because they like all of this freedom. So one of the limiting beliefs of vata is, um, if I do create structure, I'm not going to have my freedom, right? If I do take this action, then I'm not going to have the freedom to do what I usually like to do. They like to wake up and not have a schedule for the day and just do whatever, wherever the life takes me and go with the wind, which is important, right? To a certain extent, you can totally have time for that. Um, but it's really understanding what is your purpose and how can I make that happen? What are the three actions I can take every day? So for Vata is just really start to ask, where do you feel constriction in your life or where do you feel fear coming up for you um that's it's definitely an emotion that's attached to vata so where do you feel fear in your life um and then using the byron katie method what would life be like without this fear um 
so for example, using the fear of your own freedom, what would life be like if you didn't fear not having your freedom? And then saying, okay, what would life be like if I didn't have this fear? You can think I'd feel more light and have more clarity. I'd be able to do more of my tasks because I wouldn't be so worried about that. And then what if the opposite were true? Um, so what if this fear was actually serving me? in some sort of way, which is true because what Rachel says, every thought does serve a purpose, even if it's not always the most supportive one, but how was that fear serving me? So it was serving me because I like to have freedom. I know that about myself. And so I was just making sure that I had it. But now we know that if it's not serving you, what action can you take? And you know, this part is important. What change can I make in my life? Well, if I know that I like to have freedom in my life, maybe I carve out an hour of my day, my afternoon, where, or actually let's do a whole day. So let's say on Fridays, you don't have an agenda. So that day you wake up and you do absolutely whatever you want to do that day. It's your day. And so that is letting your creativity and your freedom run wild. But Monday through Thursday, you have a strict regimen and you have an agenda so that you can get your stuff done. Yeah, and even just to add another example, I feel like I see from Vatsas a lot, like they really value their independence. And if you're thinking about their relationships, it's like they love their freedom, but they also, they like really want a partner or someone to have in their lives, like something like that. But it scares them too, right? And it's like all of a sudden you have these conflicting desires here because you have this deep need for freedom, for independence. And then you also have this deep need for sharing your life or finding love or whatever it is that that person wants. And so to go through this, these steps, it's like, okay, I can still value my freedom, but I can also have a commitment to a relationship or a person, or if it's a job, you can commit to the job and you actually find more freedom. So you flip the belief on its head. You have more freedom when you feel supported by your partner, or you have more freedom in your life when you love what you do for work and you can be completely present during certain hours and then use the rest of the hours of your day to pursue other things that light you up. And so you'll often find that where these limiting beliefs are highlighted is when you want two different things and you feel this pull and that running like that hamster wheel of the mind like well i can't have both well i can't have both and the answer is like you can always have both and you can use examples from your past history or what other people have done to help support you and knowing that whatever you desire is true for you and you can have both of them if you want to and oftentimes getting one actually supports the other and it's really just a fear that has no basis so yeah, such a beautiful way to describe the Vata one. Yeah, I love that. And so for Pittas, one that is really present with Pittas is they often want to do all of the things. So they're curious, they want to learn a lot of things, they want to achieve or accomplish a lot. And when they think about all that they need to do, right, like their to-do list, like all of the things they have on their accomplishment board, their dream board, they start to think, okay, I don't have time for this. And oftentimes what they don't have time for are the things that really make life super enjoyable, right? Joy, fun, laughter, breaks, sleep. And so you really see this highlighted again, going back to the food. It's like, this is such a good one. If you're a pizza and you're not sure if you have this belief, it's like try to sit down for a meal and then rest after your meal and then listen to the inner dialogue, right? It's so interesting. It's like, well, no, I have to wash the dishes because I've got this meeting and this and this. And like, that's how you know that you've got this underlying belief, like working the undercurrents of what's on the surface. And so for them, it's really this deep-seated fear, not that they even don't have enough time, but that they don't have enough time to achieve all of the things that they want to achieve, right? Because almost all of the limiting beliefs come down to this fact that we forget 
again, that we're spiritual beings, that we are completely and totally worthy, right? We are completely worthy. So we don't have to accomplish those things. But with Pitta, the way that it shows up is in their time. And so, for example, um, a good one is like, I need to get this promotion at work. I don't have time to go to my niece's birthday party, or I don't have time to take a day off and go on a vacation, or I don't have time to get eight hours of sleep. But they really do want to have fun. Like they're working so that they can have fun. So again, back to those conflicting desires. And so for them, it's all about seeing like, I can take a break, which actually makes me more productive at work. And then coming up with examples of that is what really gets the subconscious mind to start to buy into what's possible for them. It's like, wait, I can work less and still achieve the things I want to achieve. And oh, by the way, like the things that I'm achieving aren't actually tied to my worth. And so you kind of get the double whammy of all of this goodness that comes back into your subconscious and reprogramming it into what it can believe that it can do and what's possible. Yeah. And it really, for Pittas, it comes down to um, I am enough because we feel like we have to put everything and all these things on our plates because we feel like it's just never going to be enough. And so when you really start to dive down into it and you can think of this as your to-do list, I get this way sometimes when I'm getting towards the end of it, I get really rubbed up like, oh, I'm almost done with it. I'm just going to charge through and not take my break because that feeling of completion is everything. But really dive deep and think, what is that feeling of completion really giving me? That's giving me that my worth is in my work, that my purpose is rooted in my career. My purpose is rooted in the action that I take when it's not true, right? And so then you can just start to list, where do I, where is my worth actually come from? Where does my, my enoughness really come from? Um, and, you know, by doing this practice continuously, you realize it's just, I am enough. It's just me living my existence is it is enough. It doesn't even matter what else that I do. And just giving yourself that break and that pause to understand that, then you realize that stillness, that meditation is actually the best thing that you could ever do for yourself. So beautifully said. Yeah, that's so true for Pettas. Should we get into the last one for Kappas? Yes. So Kappas are known for being the really loving archetypes. Um, they're really supportive and they're nurturing to everyone in their family. And they are known for kind of being that support system for everyone and being really reliable. Um, and for this, they are known for being healers and known for being the caretakers for a lot of people. Um, and so for that, a lot of times they wear the burden of other people's pain, right? They feel like, if I feel your pain, then you won't have to feel it. I'll take it away from you, right? Um, so a lot of times with kappas, we have to really find that their worth is not going to be rooted in someone else's pain or someone else's success, that it's really just rooted in themselves and making sure that they give back to themselves. Um, so oftentimes it's just, it's really identifying that being around other people fulfills you and gives you that love, but you don't necessarily need to do that all the time. And, and that's not actually serving that person's growth because if we're constantly feeling other people's pain and not allowing them to process it, then we're actually stifling their own growth, right? Because we're trying to take it away from them. So if we can just be really separate, make that separation and have that clear boundary with them that I'm here and I'm listening to you and um, I can give advice without actually meeting that vibration that you're at. Yeah, I love that. That's such a big one that you see with kafas is like really taking things on and also feeling like kind of like almost 
a tweak on the I'm enough. It's like, I, I, I need to help you. It's almost like that codependency coming in where they're not enough by themselves. They have to be giving themselves to other people. And so let's dive into how to solve this. So if, you know, someone's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, like you just nailed me on the head. Like I have all of those things. I'm really resonating. What is the first step that they can do and how can they start to bring awareness to this pattern Two, start to work with it and question it. And then three, start to change patterns so that they can create a lifestyle that supports their life without this belief or with a, you know, better belief that more serves them. Yeah, so vatas, a lot of times there, there's always fear, right? There's fear, there's worry for the future, and then that gets, gets the mind just going all the time. And so the opposite, when we use the laws of opposites with, with Ayurveda, is to ground, is to provide stability, to provide structure for vatas. So where in, in vatas in your life can you provide more structure? Um, is that maybe making a list, a to-do list of three things you can do every day towards your goal. Um, this can also be just getting a calendar or setting timers for yourself is super simple. And of course we talk about a morning routine. So something as simple as doing a gratitude journal, writing three new things that you're grateful for that day or that previous day. And then also just taking time to find stillness in the morning, whether that's mindful, a mindfulness walk in nature or just doing a meditation. I love that. And Vatas, you might be really excited to start all of those practices and then fall off. And a way we can encourage you to not fall off is to really sit down and get curious and journal about times in your life where you have had really good structure or a really good morning routine or felt really grounded and how that served you. Because when you have those tangible examples, then it's like, oh, you have your proof for yourself. And that's going to really motivate you to keep going with the practices and make sure that you stay consistent and stick to them. Totally. Um, and I also wanted to add with Vatas that um, sometimes they, that, that fear and that, and that worry and that anxiety, um, it, it also comes with feeling overwhelmed that their mind is going all the time. So just write down all of your ideas when you have them, just to make sure that they're there. And then you can always come back to them. Did yeah. you just say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no <that's> <laughs> I love that. And that it also makes you, you know, it lets the, the hamster wheel kind of stop running because it's like, wait, I've documented all of my ideas. I don't have to keep, you know, ruminating on them up, in, upstairs in the mind and like they're just put away and they're there for me. And pittos can actually do that same thing. We'll get into them in a second. But with their to-do list, like I was just talking to a client yesterday and she was like, I wake up early in the morning and my to-do list just runs through my mind. I was like, great, write all of those things down so you've captured them and then you're not spending the next hour laying in bed thinking about how you want to go back to sleep, but you also don't want to forget any of the things you have to do. Like you can just put it aside and it's like you've taken care of it in that moment by writing it down. So it's a great practice. Yeah, totally. So Pitta is talking about how to make sure that you feel like you have enough time to do all that you can and achieve. You talked about this earlier. It's like, first making time for meditation and that stillness. And that's really tridoshic and good for all the doshas. But something that's especially good for pittas is just scheduling in that time to have breaks and have joy and then literally documenting how that impacts your life. So I remember this was really profound for me. Uh, a friend that I have, I think this was back in maybe December, she was talking about how she had her absolute best month in her business. She was an entrepreneur and a coach herself 
when she went on vacation, she, it was during the summer. So she was out with friends and her coach at the time was like, look at all of these other things that you were doing instead of stressing and, you know, going back to workaholic tendencies and spending all of your time alone on your business. You got out there and you were enjoying yourself and you were in this high vibration and you had your best month yet. And for me, that was like a, whoa, <laughs> that was an aha. It was like, okay, if she can do this, and you know, not work every day in crazy hours, and she's scheduled in time for joy, and she could still achieve her goals, like there's something there. And so start to put this into practice in a small way, Angelica, I think you do this, but schedule like a block of your Friday or Saturday where it's like you don't have anything to do. You're just doing whatever you feel like in that moment, and it's something that's fun. It's something that brings you joy. It's not anything that you think you should be doing, and it's all things that just kind of let you up and get you back into that playful state that you Pittas do have, like they get intense, but they also have such a warm, friendly nature to them. And they, they love being able to access that. So just dedicating time to that and making sure that you honor it. And you even, <laughs> Pittas, you need the proof. So go back and look at how that impacts you, whether it's through numbers or even just looking at what you were journaling and your emotions and that shift that happened when you started to make time for that and that play. Yeah, totally. It's that, you know, it's again coming back to that forgiveness too like every thought is serving its own purpose and so for pizzas that fire and that intensity and that motivation just comes to you naturally and it, it really is a gift right like plowing through your to-do list like really can give you joy right but it doesn't give you joy all the time that you have to have balance with it so how can you balance that fire with that water and that water element is really being in the flow and really surrendering the things so this can like being in the flow is not rigidity. It's not going from one thing to the next and not having transition. I do that all the time where I'll overbook myself or I'll have no gaps in between the day or someone asks me a question while I'm working and I freak out because I don't have time for that. I only blocked away 15 specific minutes to do this task. And now you're interrupting that. So <laughs> it's really just surrendering to the flow of life and everything that comes forward and allowing the grace of the divine to come through to you and to really surrender to that is, is really important. Yeah, I love that. So funny you talk about crushing the to-do list because that does feel fun for Pittas, but there are also other ways to have fun that have nothing to do with your productivity levels and what you achieve. So thank you for highlighting that. I think that's super important. Yeah, of course. And for kappas, so kappas, you can feel kind of selfish when you start to put yourself first, right? Because once you realize, okay, I need boundaries. I'm literally the friend therapist. I can't do this anymore. Um, and it just, yeah, you're feeling like your, your cup is not full anymore. Really, any dosha can feel like their cup is not full anymore. But this is the way that kappas feel it. And so being okay with, you know, we talk self-care a lot in, in the Western world, but that is just literally putting yourself first because you have to, you have to fill your own cup in order to fill others. And so this is making time for yourself. So this can be, you know, one day out of the week where you have a day for yourself, where if you'd like to get your nails done, that could be something for you. Um, maybe it's just reading a book. Um, I know we had one client before she loves to go to museums. Um, so whatever it is, that time that is really authentic to you, where it's time for myself, um, it is really important. We're also at the same time, how can I put boundaries? So for example, if it's you time and then you answer your phone and you're texting the whole time, trying to answer a friend's problem, that is a boundary that you need to build. So having healthy boundaries during your 
off time that I'm not going to look at my phone or, um, I, if a, if a friend wants to reach out to me last minute and have plans with her, I'm going to say no, even though, you know, it'd be fun to be with that friend, but this is my time and just really being clear with your boundaries. I love that. And one thing that's super important as you work through all of this work and you start to see it and experience it, know that it's, it's deeper than just what's happening with your thoughts. Like we kind of talk about it like that. It's a thought you have and then you work through it, but it's really happening on a bodily level. So give yourself compassion as you work through these processes because it can be a lot. And oftentimes it's really freeing, but sometimes you can be really hard on yourself, right? Because if you finally realize that after 30 years, you've been putting all of these other people for yourself, you might experience resentment. You might experience anger. Um, you might be just overall upset, sad, whatever the emotions are, those come up because if you're thinking it hindsight's 2020 and all of a sudden you have this newfound clarity, right? And with clarity, sometimes comes things that are you know, we're in the shadow and you illuminated them. That's why it's oftentimes called shadow work. And so a big component of this practice that Alyssa Nobrega brings in from her um, education at the University of Santa Monica is really the forgiveness practice. And so this is something you can add into the Byron Katie workshop that we'll share in the notes of this episode. But it's after this process, taking time to say like, I forgive myself for buying into this belief that, you know, I don't have enough time to achieve all the things that I need. And she says, the truth is, and you just flip it on its head. And now you know the truth. And now that you know, you can do better and you can change the way that you've been operating and that's empowering. And so use it as something that's truly empowerment and don't get stuck in those feelings of guilt and shame of feeling heavy and feeling maybe stupid. Sometimes I feel stupid. It's like, how could I have not seen this before? Right. And it's like, that's divine timing. It, you weren't supposed to see it before now. This is the perfect timing. And so honoring that process and honoring where you're at with that, because if you think about two limiting beliefs and thoughts, the more you, when you become aware of them, it, you, you start this process and you're like, wow, I'm aware. Like that's step one. That's awesome. But then there's part of you, especially when you're new to this work, where you start to like judge the thought and I'm like clapping my hands together. Cause that's like, you are getting sticky to it. You're getting really critical of it. So it's like if someone puts their hand up and you put your hand against theirs and you start to push, the natural reaction for them is to push back, right? So that's you getting stuck in the thought and pulling it even closer to you. So you're aware, which is awesome, but you're also stuck in this pattern because you're judging it. And so what the forgiveness technique is doing is it's opening your heart, coming back to that compassion, and you're truly freeing yourself from it. You're saying, it's safe to be here. This is a part of me too, and it's all okay, and it's all perfect. Like that limiting thought isn't bad. It's just a part of you, and it's just something that you can now see, and now you can be empowered to do things differently. So just a little note there. I think that's a super important part of the process. Yeah, I love that you said that. That's Perfect, because it's in every moment we can either feel a contraction or expansion, right? And so when we feel that contraction, we feel it sometimes it's in our lower gut, sometimes it's a knot in our middle of our stomach, sometimes it's a pain in our heart. And if we just sit with that and process that and feel that and identify it, that's where the awareness comes from. Envision it expanding, then we can actually allow it to process. And this is what we call transcending. So then from this higher state of awareness, now we can view that that situation, not from that lower vibrational charge, but from a higher transcendental, transcendental state. So then you can understand a fuller perspective. And then you can see, oh, I understand why I was doing that, why I was buying into that belief, but now I can see the full truth of it from this expansive state. It's the same thing of when you would say, 
I'm just going to observe this as a third party. So if you feel yourself getting really involved and invested in something and close to it, like Rachel was saying, separate yourself from it. That means you're too close to it. So almost feel like you're hovering over your body and you're just kind of observing something from a third party. That way you're not involved in it. You're literally just viewing this situation um, as ambiguous as you can. And then you can come and understand it from that higher perspective. I love that. And like I said, in addition to doing some of Byron Katie's work, there's also some other things that I see think are super crucial. Um, speaking from my own experience, once I got familiar with her workshop, it was really easy for me to just like skip to the end and know the answer instead of feeling it. And so if you're doing this work ever and feeling that too, some ways you can supplement this work are through like body work. So for me personally, I love the class by Taryn Toomey. Some people are drawn to yoga. Some people really like breath work or meditation, but other ways to really drop into the work, drop into the body, even if it's as simple as just like hands on heart, what's going on in here. Um, but doing the work can't be something on your to-do list that you check off in a few minutes. It has to be something that you embody and something that you're constantly questioning. And you'll do this, you know, as you get more progressed and advanced in your practice with not only like negative beliefs, but also positive beliefs, right? So you're taking this really complex and socially constructed thing, which is your identity. And it's Eckhart Tolle always says, you go from somebody to nobody. And that's what this process is, right? You're letting go of all of these things so that every day, every morning, every moment, you get to choose who you want to be, who your soul wants to be, how it wants to project. And that is freedom. That's true freedom. And it sounds scary as hell. I feel, I noticed that is when I was saying it, but it's a really beautiful thing. And that's what we're here to achieve is just to free ourselves from those things. So we can be and do what we came here to, to be and do. So beautiful. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode? I think that's all. This is deep work. So it's, it's not meant to be like, oh, I got limiting beliefs down. It's just to get you thinking and just to spark some interest. And please reach out to us. Please comment on the below. We want to dive deeper into this. We want this to make sense and not feel like it's foreign. We want this to be relatable. So let us know how it goes for you. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Like I said, there'll be a lot in the episode notes. So definitely check those out. DM us on Instagram. You can send us an email, all the ways that you feel called to contact us, please do. And come with your questions. We're always happy to answer them and help guide you through this process. We love you so much. Sending you love and light. Namaste. Namaste.